We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X, and today I'm here with Mark and Josh. Hi, I'm Mark Bivens, vice president of sales for Pioneer X. Hi, I'm Josh Allen, vice president of clinical strategy. Today we are here with Stephanie McGrath, executive director of network operations for the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network. Stephanie, I don't know, we've met. Jeff yeah. Key. Um, I don't believe so. I think I'm the only one that's met you live, so. Oh, well, and this is uh, Mark Bivens. Mark Bivens handles uh, his VP of sales at Pioneer. Uh, I'm the president, was brought in to build the new pharmacy system about 15 years ago. Great. Nice to meet you. Thank you for your, all of your work on and efforts in that. It's, we've seen a lot of great work coming out of our pharmacies that are Pioneer customers. So. Cool. We've seen the, the good, the good product of that. Who are, who do you work for? (laughs) I, that's that's a good question. So I'm employed through the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy, okay, gotcha. but I am but the but PPCN, the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care yep. Network, pays my salary through. I'm a contracted employee through the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy, which is nice because um, sitting in the School of Pharmacy, I have access to resources, colleagues at at Pitt that do data analysis. I work closely with our students, research fellows, and residents on a number of different patient care initiatives. So um, I have access to all of these great minds and people to bounce ideas off of and work on projects with and things like that. Um, But I am solely funded through the, the network, the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network. So in the Pharmacist Care Network, that is the CPSN network? That is the CPSN network of Pennsylvania, yes. All right, and so how did they get money? Uh, we have participation fees, so monthly enrollment fees. The pharmacies pay um, a, a percentage goes to CPSN USA. We keep some at uh, PPCN. Um, we've also built some uh, program administrative fees into payer contracts as well. Nice. And we partnered with our Department of Health, and some of my salary comes from a CDC grant as well. Very cool. Um, nice. To work on practice transformation. I know I, I've said in meetings where, where people like Trip Logan and, and you know, it's like, I, I, we need staff people. So yeah. I'm always curious that, you know, Pennsylvania seems kind of uh, ahead of that and what they're doing and think about, hey, we, we got to have somebody who gets up every morning and thinks about this. Was, uh, right. was PPCN, it predates CPESN, correct? Or was it formed? How, how yes, yeah, I guess speak to that. Sure, sure. So it goes back at least 10 years, really in development. Um, My first so after I graduated pharmacy school, my first resident, her research project was to take a look at uh, this was 10, you know, more than 10 years ago now, where pharmacists were across the state providing patient care, what type of setting are they in the community and in an institution? Where are they physically? So she gathered and created like a map. So that was the first uh, step in creating a network of pharmacists that were providing any type of clinical care. Um, And then through that, the State Pharmacy Association, the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Association, worked with all seven schools of pharmacy to uh, create a training program that served as a credentialing entity for, um, for pharmacists providing this level of care. So started again to formalize the network. So it really started as a network of pharmacists now has evolved to a network of pharmacies. So that, yes, that's why we have Pennsylvania, a a different name. Uh, we look a little bit different. Um, but we have this really 
developed infrastructure because it's evolved over the course of like 13 years. Is it, you know, something I, I found, I, I took about a four year hiatus and, and taught college uh, because I, in my part of the country, it was something that was needed. But I constantly got, this isn't a business. Why are you trying to run this like a business? Students aren't our customers. But in pharmacy, it seems really, you know, a lot of the success going on right now is because academia is involved. And really, pharmacy schools seem to have this view of not just research, right? That that there actually is this 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 push into community. Is that a healthcare thing? Is that also like like doctors and nurses? Do you see that the same thing in those schools where they're really working through well, the people? I, I think to pharmacy? a degree, that's a specific number of pharmacy schools, right? Like Arkansas has done a great job. Um, Pitt's done an amazing job of that as well. Ole Miss has done that. And I think that revolves a little bit around having people like Stephanie available to do it. And then some of the schools like UT Austin, amazing pharmacy school, doesn't really do anything in the community. Well, how do you, so if we've seen huge success in areas where the colleges were involved, how do we help more pharmacy colleges get involved in, in, in their local states? Is that something they talk about? What, what's the, there's a show that has yeah, a lot of the colleges in there. Probably ASHP mid-year would be the biggest one. Yeah. Do you see, do you see move there? Do y'all see you having classes and CEs talking about how to do that and Oh, totally. So the ACT Pharmacy Collaborative, which I, I think you've you probably, I think you've discussed on previous yeah. um, podcasts yep. Yep. Um, and are familiar with. Yeah, Jordan's very involved with, with ACT. So I'm, I sit on the ACT task force as well. Um, Melissa McGivney and the team at the University of Pittsburgh um, were some of the founding members of the ACT Collaborative and um, now has uh, almost 90, I think, schools of pharmacy involved across the country. And that's helped to support and give recognition to community pharmacy faculty um, across the country. And that is um, the deans of those schools have to actually sign off that their faculty are participating in this initiative. So it just gives more recognition for the faculty that these, this work is important. Um, this work is, you know, should be discussed um, at, at our level, should be discussed nationally. And I think it feeds, you know, some ideas and resources to, you know, kind of, um, you know, bi-directionally from the, you know, nat national group to the local, you know, at the local level and, and so forth. It's made a lot of really, you know, great connections. And that's, you know, part of the work is amplifying the work that's being done in the community and, and strengthening those community partnerships. Um, majority of students, so, I mean, you can do so much with a pharmacy degree, but now, but as evidenced by, you know, the group of us sitting here, but, uh, you know, you, uh, the, the majority of students still graduate and work in the community. And if, if schools of pharmacy aren't supporting students in that and their education development in that, they're doing their students a disservice. So I think that's where the University of Pittsburgh, one of, one of the you know, first reasons they you know, really, um, and, and also recognized the value of supporting the community. And literally, it's not just a pharmacy, it is literally the people that live and work and in go to church in that community, it's much bigger right. than, than that. Yeah. Um, and, and they've really embraced that model. Um, when I graduated school in, in 2007, I distinctly remember Melissa McGivney in, in our, uh, you know, classes saying like, you need to be paid for your services. I'm teaching you how to be a clinician, but you have to understand how to get paid for that. And that was a large part of my residency training and appreciation as well. So that is, that is really ingrained in, in students. Yeah, can you imagine what the world would be like if every college teacher had to work a day a week in a 
in their field. Right. How the class would be different. Uh, I mean, everything. It's just it's just crazy. I remember I was I was visiting a a, a pharmacy in, in Georgia based on some. I, I try to to hit some pieces around the country and 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 ran into a pharmacist, a teacher who I knew there. She's working in the back office. You know, it was just a big surprise. But that huh. that that feeling. Yeah, Aaron, who used to work at Miss yeah. Pharmacy. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, it's also like you're, we've inter- interviewed more and more people that have some connection or relationship now, more with some type of like, even if it's like uh, they're teaching a class and they teach a class every year, whether it's one particular. I feel like there's more and more community involvement that we're even hearing about with community pharmacy being more involved with schools of pharmacies in general. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at healthcare education, historically, you're, when you're a clinical professor, you're still working, right? Mm -hmm. It just, historically, when you're a clinical professor in pharmacy school, you're probably working in an ambulatory care clinic or a hospital. Right. Right. Um, So now we're starting to see more clinical professors work in community settings. And I think that's awesome. And helping figure out a revenue model to make the shift the care model, right? Like that that's kind of what you're helping do with CPSN as well. Um, totally, totally. And bringing in um, best, you know, best practices, uh, guidelines, clinical practice tools as well. I think that's where, you know, I really lean heavily on my team. In fact, now we're trying to figure out uh, how to build a model for um, uh, home, uh, home visits. So pharmacists providing home visits and I need help like where are the CPT codes that align with that? And, right. you know, I, so I'm relying on a resident to help me build that program. Is that the pharmacist making a home visit? Or is that, that the pharmacist? Yes. Yeah, so we've had a lot of requests. Um, and I am talking to my you know colleagues nationally about this as well. They get, they're getting the same requests that, um, you know, patients still, you know, don't have access to vaccines because they can't leave their house. They have mental or physical disabilities mm-hmm. or, tra- you know, whatever it may be. Um, and so they, the pharmacies have been requested to go to the patient's home to provide that immunization. And while they, they'll, they'll do that out of the goodness of their heart, they can't sustain that. They can't yeah, do it, you know, in it. a widespread way. Yeah. So, um, you know, help. So we're working with some health plan partners to try to figure out what that looks like, um, how you would bill for that. But the biggest challenge is just, it's not that it's not the buy-in like our health plan colleague partners are so supportive of the work that our community pharmacists are doing, but it's the logistics of like, what does this look like? How do I actually pay you? How do you, how do I get credit for paying you for this service? Um, so that's been really interesting to see and trying to get, you know, these groups of, of individuals together who have expertise in, in provider credentialing and contracting, um, medical billing to figure that out. It's, is that something built probably on the, on the med side? Uh, no, they don't want it on them. It depends. They don't? So, it, huh. so, and, and in fact, so pharmacies, uh, I think traditionally would want it built on the right. med side. So uh, let me just use my, my dispensing system to do that. But if the dispensing system doesn't have X12 capability, uh, then they, uh, health plans may or may not see it. So they, then they rely on the PBM to share it with them. And I think, you know, we collectively as a profession want to get away with from relying on a PBM to uh, bill for services. Um, So, so I, you know, I'm excited about one of the things I wanted to ask your team about actually is uh, in, in, is it in the pipeline uh, integrating the into pioneer medical billing, X12 billing into the dispensing system or can it be? 
Am I allowed to make this request during this? I heard Product, I could talk yes. about anything. Yeah, no, no, yes. no. We, we, yes. We've certainly been Product very interested <laughs> in medical billing for for years, um, probably at least four yeah. or five years. We've and, been kicking the tires since I yeah, got here. Yeah, I had a couple of things. Five. I think that was, um, was it Envoy? Who was um, it? Uh, uh, Experian. 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 Yeah, we talked to you probably five years ago, and, and they made an offer to us, which was, was actually pretty reasonable. But there was nobody doing it. You know, so, you know. It, for the egg kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and it was right. kind of like $50 per group of people you accredited with. So if you were a doctor's office, you accredited with everybody at one time, it's different. But, you know, pharmacists would have been nickel and diamond all the way. And yeah, it's just such a different model, right? You're paying a different fee to everybody for every pharmacist. Right. right. At least back then, for sure. I don't know if it's right. And even then, there now. was there was still a lot of ambiguity, and there there still is right about the CPT code's fine. That's published. It's available. But how you bill a medical claim versus a pharmacy claim is very different. And there's just not a lot of expertise to be like, hey, the pharmacy claim translates to this, and the modifier codes and all the other stuff that go along with it, and. It's easier to figure out when you have people doing it, but when there's like four people doing one-offs across the country, it just, it's super hard. So hopefully you guys get some traction and we can help work with you guys and figure that out. Yeah. So we'd love to, you know, one of the things we'd love to see is a, you know, a, a thing that translates a care plan into an X-12. Yeah. You know, that there's a piece totally. of an X-12 now. Now we don't want the care plan to be a billing instrument. It wasn't designed to do that. You know, we want a care plan to be sent at multiple events but one event could be a billing event. And if you had totally. somebody out there who would who would be like a clearinghouse and transfer that, which is similar to the to the not PBM model. I mean the big model today is that you translate a regular D.0 claim into a into right. an X twelve document. Right. Companies right. do that. Yep. Well, even if you publish a straight up X twelve, you still have to have a clearinghouse. Right. That's what Experian and all those other guys really do. Good question. No, good, good. question. So it's in the pipeline. That. That's what I heard. That's what she said. Right. Well, it's something we're, we're very interested Public. in and work with a couple. Right. I mean, there are a couple of people we work with, yeah. um, different models of that that is, um, you know, whether that be Allwin or FDS or, or Omnisys that will take a, a D.0 claim, yeah. give you in a way to add some additional data to it. Um, yep. we, we've been pushing one of them to do the, to take a D.0 claim and combine it with an e-care plan and put the data together to make an X12. Um, yeah. I think that's really the future of, pharma, of community pharmacy. I think that's really, you know, for, in order to improve efficiencies and to, to be getting pharmacists doing this all the time. I know you've, your team has worked, you know, really hard to improve, help pharmacists improve efficiencies and submitting care plans, but it's the billing for services now that like where we're struggling. Now oh, I've got to log into this other system uh -huh. to submit a medical claim. Like it's clunky or uh, what, you know, one of the health plans wants us to submit HICPA forms, like, Really? really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And mail them in. So uh, we're, we're, you know, but there's just not enough volume. They, they, they're willing to work with us on building a, an, uh, an online platform for that. But yeah. um, again, it's going outside of, you know, their workflow to do that. Sure. Um, and while physician practices have staff, have a team, have a medical biller, yep. you know, on staff, most pharmacies don't have that. Um, maybe that's right. the future too, that all pharmacies will need to have something like that. I right. hope not. I hope that yeah, the technology can support them. You know, we've played where a model where, you know, you had a company, there are doctor's offices and things that don't do their, they don't have a medical biller on staff. They, they outsource that medical billing to a, a different, to another company who handles that for them, tracks it down, does those kind of things. I think you're probably a long way off from being able to afford a medical biller. And that's that chicken and egg thing. You know, I don't have a quite enough to 
pay for what I need and somebody's got to invest somewhere and independent pharmacy doesn't have a lot of money to invest. Uh, you almost need to get some kind of big right. grant or something like that to, you know, build some kind of national clearinghouse or, or some kind of method. Um, you also wonder if there's going to be some vision of a third method. You know, the, the downside of, of medical billing today is, is it's, it's credentialed on a, on a per provider basis, which is weird in pharmacy. Yeah. Um, you know, pharmacy right. is usually credentialed on a pharmacy basis as you switch out people. Right. And I've seen some models in CPSN where they just say they're doing a third way, which may be, hey, we're billing based on getting a care plan or, or something like that because uh, nobody's systems is supporting it. Right, right. Yeah, that's what we're struggling with too. Right, and there's a happy medium, right? The cool thing about pharmacy claims is they're adjudicated in real time. You know, yeah. I did this, I get this amount of money, barring DIR fees. Yeah, things. barring it. But yeah, in theory, right, I send something out, I know what I'm getting paid, but with health claims, that's not true at all, right? You've got a sometimes right. multi-week delay. You have to figure that at some point when these things start to merge, you're like, well, maybe we can take the best of both worlds and do something to say, if you've got all of the clinical documentation in place, I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to get paid. Right? And the e-care plan could be a mechanism to be able to do that. Totally. I hope that's the future. I completely agree. And I think our pharmacies would also. Yeah, it's super interesting and, and super, uh, we're definitely in a period of change and where some of those decisions are being made. And Yeah, it's um, things up for sure. Stephanie, do you think that could be a sustained need? Because it sounds like payers are willing to pay for somebody who can't get out of their house for someone mm -hmm. to come there and, 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 and do vaccinations and probably something else too. Uh, do you think right, that's right. something a that's, health risk assessment? Yeah. yeah. Fall risk assessment. Yeah. PHQ nine. Totally. Totally. Okay. There's definitely appetite for that. Again, I think it's the, now that we have buy-in and you know, we have these relationships with health plans and where we demonstrated value, mm -hmm. it's the logistics of, of setting it up. Um, yeah. That are the biggest roadblocks. Yeah. And trying to use current infrastructure to do it. Well, and just expensive. I mean, yeah. way, way too expensive to the doctor out, you know, pharmacists kind of in the middle. Yeah. And you even know, then, you know, a, yeah. a, a nurse uh, may or may not be less expensive. You know, could you could you telehealth it some kind of, you know, could right. you maybe could put a healthcare worker connect in there. the delivery driver yeah. with a with a with an iPad that connects to the pharmacist and kind of it's totally. a facilitated yep. uh, visit, you know, where the, the driver can go around and sh show the you know, you can do a fall assessment. You can make sure you have guardrails and things and things like that. And where it's a pharmacist is, is there, but it's not didn't have to travel there. Sure. Right. Well, you, you even saw through COVID releasing, allowing for technicians to be able to immunize, which is shocking that it took this long to do in the first place. But, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't do a quick televisit at the pharmacy and have the delivery driver as a technician provide a vaccine or do some other type of screening under yeah. supervision. Well, it makes what, total sense. What states are techs? Um, because of, um, with the Coronavirus Relief Act, they allowed technicians to immunize for COVID vaccines. I don't know if all states were required to to do that, but yeah, I don't, there were a lot of states that allowed that released huh. techs to be able to do that. Yeah, because I know that the guys I was talking to, one of the stores I visited in Florida, he had actually hired nurses. Yeah, um, with the two-year nurse mm -hmm. um, to help them with vaccines and some of the clinics and stuff they were doing. So Florida must not have been one that. Allowed the tech. Florida is in general not terribly innovative with stuff, kind of like Texas. Yeah, no, we we may we may deduct that. 
Sorry, our Florida friends. <laughs> I guess they we know. picked on Texas too, right? Yeah, I mean, on Texas. We're in Texas. We're, Texas has never been like, hey, we're going to be cutting edge in pharmacy, it's, or at least in pharmacy regulations, right? Yeah. They're getting there now. Yeah, I don't know. You know, they were the, one of the early ones to say, you will counsel. Not, you know what I'm saying? You, that, you will counsel, but we will not enforce it. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was like, oh. They did early on. They went around looking at sick pads and make sure you couldn't, they didn't have the option on the sick pads. I don't know if yeah. they did that with the chains. Yeah, I mean, I worked at a chain for a while and I saw a lot of people not get counseled and nobody seemed to care about it. So, huh. do you want to name that chain? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd like to on record. You can send the cease and desist order <laughs> to my wanna, address. Do you want to throw some very specific shade? <laughs> Oh, so all right. So we're going to imagine that you have a crystal ball there on your desk. We yeah. can't see. Yeah. So, so tell us what what do you see in the next year or two in uh, independent pharmacy specifically, but community pharmacy? What what do you see happening? Yeah, totally. I think uh, a big expansion of the provision of services. I think through medical billing, through credentialing, I see that's a big area of focus for us in Pennsylvania is working directly with health plans um, for credentialing pharmacists for services, getting them paid for services um, as opposed to prescriptions. Um, and I, I think nationally as well as we've seen, um, you know, restriction or we've seen waivers that allow pharmacists to vaccinate, you know, down to age three for any vaccine down to age three. So we've seen some expansions in the scope of practice. I think that's going to, I think there's going to be a lot of advocacy work, a lot of, I think this is the time where we're going to see real movement in advocacy. Um, if not now, then, then I, yeah, then when, we yeah. missed the boat. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's all hands on deck for, you know, for, calling your legislator, calling, you know, talking to your Senator, um, promoting the work that, that our pharmacists are doing. We, we, um, meet with our luminaries. We have 18 luminaries, um, in PPCN that are mostly pharmacy owners and some are, um, clinical pharmacists that work for a high performing pharmacy that share innovation, um, that share insight into what they're really seeing on the ground. Cause like that guide network development. So I mean, we could, I could have, you know, a great plan for the network, but if it's not grounded in what's actually happening, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So they help to, there are informants really. And, uh, one of them today mentioned that he just recently had a meeting with a Senator that lasted, uh, you know, twice as twice the amount of time it was scheduled for. They were just really interested to hear from him what um, community pharmacists like him were doing. And he makes it really clear that he represents his pharmacy, but also he has this network of pharmacies behind him, 170 pharmacies in Pennsylvania behind him that are all doing similar things. And so when they're looking about implementing change, it's not just about this one little community. Right. It is about, about them, but it, it's relevant, you know, beyond that. Um, and he shared that, you know, while physician practices were closed for two months, um, they're, you know, in the early stages of the pandemic, they were triaging patients to care. They, you know, they would take patients, patients would come into the pharmacy, they take their blood pressure, they collect, they do an assessment oh, wow. in the yeah. pharmacy wow. and work with the physician by phone to huh. make changes in medications. Uh, yeah. And, and they should be they're paid capable for that. of doing yeah, it. That's awesome. They should be yeah. paid for it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Huh. So they're capable of doing it. And the next step is getting them paid for it. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you see this wave going through of anti PBM sentiment in um, the legislative leg environment, state legislature. Yeah. It seems like every week you open up something. I think Alabama was the last right. one that yeah. it Texas has a few of them on the board. And, yeah, and a, and a lot of those are passed. Yeah, I think Texas has ones passed the Senate and, and the House. They and have a few being in the yeah. 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 Well, not the the impressive thing for the Texas Senate was it passed almost unanimously, which never happens in yeah. a state. Yeah, like, yeah. it was like thirty eight and three or something. 
Right. So that's the next interesting thing of that wave going through those states is it's not partisan. It's it's been very, very weighted to pharmacy in this. And and maybe the pandemic helped with that and the realization that we've got to have these guys. But um, I agree with 100 percent that the appetite there in that finally, you know, I've done some Washington stuff myself and it's like they didn't even really get it. Yeah. You know, um, well, and- remember when we talked to that Senator and we were talking about pharmacy, it was like, we went in to talk about something specific and he had like no idea what was going on at all in, in pharmacy. Yeah. And, and so I think you're seeing more of your legislatures become better educated. Yeah. Um, and as they get more educated, it's more likely, uh, to make a difference. I know we're seeing a ton of legislative efforts around mainly PBM reform and and restrictive networks, which need to happen. Agree, but services and creeping into other kind of you know maybe some some territory where doctors don't maybe want someone in there, and there's other advocacy groups that may not have interest in it. Um, do you see that being a little bit of a, a, a different appetite than I know PBM reform seems to be really hot and it's rolling. Uh, what about provision of services from a legislative perspective? Totally. We talk a lot about provider status. So yeah. APHA is right. really focused on provider sure. status, although I think there's another term for it. Um, this is where I should have done my is research. Is there some rebranding? The is there some rebranding? Uh, <laughs> I think there might be a rebranded term, but um, and not because it's more than just provider status. Um, it, it's a, you know about health plans recognizing pharmacists yeah. um, as providers. You know, really, that's what it that's what it means. Just like dentists and you know other other healthcare providers. Um, and then that opens up the billing that opens up the, um, or helps to solve for the problem of how do we pay pharmacists? Cause that's our big, like, I, I can't even tell you. So through flip the pharmacy. So our, um, our practice transformation team in Pennsylvania has formed a flip the pharmacy payer advisory group. And we meet quarterly with this payer advisory group. There are colleagues in, um, different from different health plans and different payer entities, um, across the, the state. And, um, you know, they're, they're with us. They're right there with us. They're, most of them are pharmacists. So like, we get this, but where we're, we can't, what we can't figure out is the how, how to pay pharmacists for services when you're not on this list, yeah. because we go to, we go to credentialing and you're not on this list. So you don't fit into, you don't fit into this bucket. So sorry, you know, it, it doesn't work. Um, and that's, so that's where I think a lot of the efforts from, um, APHA and from the, the state pharmacy associations right. is going to be really, you know, focused on, we're learning from Ohio, we're learning from, um, Washington pharmacy association. We just met with them yesterday actually to learn about, you know, how they did it. What's the trick, you know, what do we need yeah. to know? What, what can we learn from them? Well, you know, it's interesting, like Washington did this a while back and the number of pharmacist providers in the state is still really, really low, like under 1% of pharmacists are like billing for services. Now, the ones that are doing great stuff, right? Like your oral contraceptives, your, Mm -hmm. you know, diabetes education, things like that. But it's still really, really low. Is that because the barrier entry is high? Is that what it is? What is that barrier entry? Well, each, I mean, you have to get credentialed with every single right. You have to have pair. enough density the credentialing and, or right. market, addressable market and just, probably to warrant the, the expense. Right. Well, and even if you have one payer who figures out how to do it, you still have 50 where you have to go through every single one of those hoops and convince them, all right, look, I can really do this. Credential me. How do I credential? I don't know. And then, you know, you, you have that other end where I think there are some groups that are focusing on it, but CMS really... As soon as they tie the pharmacist to be able to do work that counts toward MIPS and MACRA, 
it changes the game. Yeah. How so? Well, I mean, right now, if a pharmacist does work, it, like, say, you know, you have a pharmacist in the community that drives all of your diabetic patients to the right therapy and the goals. The doctor doesn't get credit for that. And then their quality scores don't reflect their bonus. So they have to do the double work Mm -hmm. and then the doctor gets paid for it, which if the doctor does the work, they should get paid, but it doesn't count both ways. See, it's hard to, it's hard to um, give credit to the actual individual or entity or the actual intervention. Like it's hard to pinpoint like what intervention actually caused that. Um, But yeah, we, you know, we're thinking about also if we want to be treated like a provider, um, then we have to act like a provider and get credentialed with every single health plan. And um, at the network level, so at this uh, you know, local CPSN network level, we're working with health plans to help manage that in kind of a roster type of format. If, if health plans are willing to participate with us, and that helps to take kind of like an ACO, right? Yeah. So it helps to take uh, some of the burden off of, uh, you know, the individual provider. They still have to, you know, give us the information. Um, but it, it makes it a little bit more manageable from an onboarding standpoint. So I, th- I think that that's kind of where we want, you know, where we want to get to. What are the kind of, not kind of shifting, but on CPSN, I know you're super involved and I know vaccine efforts have been kind of top of mind for the most part, but you guys are fairly mature or one of the more mature networks as far as like payer contracts in general, right? That's, that's correct. Yeah, so we, um, for uh, for the past four years, have worked closely with one health plan in particular, it's a Medicaid MCO, okay. and our pharmacists were paid for providing comprehensive medication reviews for any patient with a chronic medication, um, pediatric to, you know, any any age. So that was really cool to see pharmacists um, engaging with pediatric patients and man- helping them manage their asthma, for example, and then um, finding out that the parents smoke, and then working with the parents to help them to quit oh. smoking. So it's like a they were like treating the household um, as opposed to even just the individual patient, which was really cool to see. Um, now at, we currently have two uh, payer programs launched with two different Medicaid MCOs in Pennsylvania where pharmacists are being paid to provide um, care for asthma, COPD, diabetes. Um, and the eCare plan is the source of truth in verifying eligibility for payment in that. Um, so we're working with CPSN to facilitate the the billing, so to speak. I don't like saying an e-care plan is, is a bill. That's why I want to get this uh, X12 in your pipeline. Um, but uh, that that is the source of truth. It has to meet certain criteria to enable um, that care plan to be eligible for payment for the pharmacy. So we've had good success. Again, the health plans are, um, they see the value in it and we need to demonstrate it through the care plan. So we're really, really reliant on health plans going to do their own analysis. Like sure. they're, you know, they're going to look yep. at their own, the medical costs. They're going to look at all of that. Um, you know, but we're reliant on the data that we can get out of the health or out of the care plan to tell a story about what's really going on. Like that family that I just mentioned, you know, it's, they identified the child had uncontrolled right. asthma. Well, then they, they also talk to the parents about, you know, other risk factors in the home and we're able to really take care of it. That's what is exciting and, you know, and the role that community pharmacists can play in, in identifying some of those things. So why do you think you guys have been successful in doing that kind of development with payers where other CPSN networks may not have been yet? She's like, it's all me. 
She's we are um, Stephanie McGrath, farm D. It's like it's like right here, right here. <laughs> we'll put some we'll put some fingers I mean, pointing at you. I heard a... this was a party, so I did invite a friend. <laughs> I love that. Um, it is. This is a team. Like it is totally. I'm holding up for the the viewers that maybe kidding. are just listening. Yes. Um, our flip the pharmacy practice transformation team was awarded team of the year for yep. cohort one for flip the pharmacy. Yeah, which is. Awesome. Um, and it's a team and kudos to Pioneer RX for being recognized as a technology solution partner of the year. You're part of our team. Um, you're part of what has helped to make us successful. So thank you um, for your your partnership in that. Josh literally coming out to <laughs> Josh was some of our boots on the ground uh, coming out to Pennsylvania sure. before everything shut down um, and, and helped to inspire and, and train our pharmacists. So I mean, it really is a team. I mean, it's our state pharmacy association. It's our Department of Health. Um, it's our friends, our colleagues um, that support us on the health plan side, but it's taken years to get yeah. to this point, like, yeah, like a decade a yeah. to get to this PCCN, point of persistence. Yeah, a little bit yeah. probably one right. too. Well, and the, the really inspiring part about that is Pennsylvania is a big state, yeah. right? And you have like, yes. you know, two major cities on either end of the state with a lot of rural pieces in the middle. So when you see it's big like states that are like, different countries, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels like that in a lot of ways. That's true. But you know, like yeah. you see a lot of small states where are like, oh yeah, it's easy because you've, you can drive across the state in three hours. Well, Pennsylvania proved that you can drive across the state in 13 hours and still do this. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's um, one thing that I think really enabled the success early on was that collaboration with all seven schools of pharmacy. So their works are pretty widespread throughout the state, um, you know, that cover, cover a lot of geographic territory. And so like faculty from all of the seven schools of pharmacy contributed to this training program and were involved in, you know, in the training and we had connections and kind of their buy-in and support and our state pharmacy association as well. But not to say, I mean, there are still, we have 170 pharmacy members across Pennsylvania, but there are hundreds more that are, I'm sure, high performing that are hidden gems that we yeah. haven't engaged for whatever reason. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and we need to, to, you know, really, uh, continue to, to make some changes. We've demonstrated that we can make changes with the group that we have. Um, but, uh, for sure. And it's, you know, reaching those, those pharmacy members, um, is different to, you know, we've had to use different strategies, you know, depending on the, the geographic distribution of where they're located for sure. Yeah. There's probably how many, how many independents are there in Pennsylvania? Probably 800. I'm supposed to know A lot. I mean, we've got 800. We've got 300. I think we've got close to 300 in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I think there's like total, I think close to, close to that. It's up, not a thousand, but almost somewhere up there, creeping up there. Well, I can't wait till trade shows start happening and, and groups start coming together and start talking about what happened in COVID and and a a lot of CPSN success in the last year and a half uh, during this and, and and kind of a breakthrough and how payers are thinking about, um, Pharmacy and, yeah, and our magician in the back to totally the nine hundred and ninety community close. pharmacies. 90. I was right. Is that community or independent? Not sure. Okay, <laughs> she's like I'm, <laughs> the she, voice of God. <laughs> she's like I'm deleting this. She's now. like move I on. don't know. <laughs> move on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, started because you want to figure out you know how do you how do you replicate Pennsylvania right? How do yeah. you how do you replicate the good things that are going on in each one of these and and quickly really you know because yeah. time is. Time is not our friend. There's a lot of advantages right now going on in just um, in pharmacy. Right. You've got a swell of, you just demonstrated a lot of capability, a ton of goodwill. Now, what do you do with it? 
Right, right. When everyone's exhausted and <laughs> yeah, right, uh, you got to give back. Up. Still, still right. trying to bill for all those vaccines. Yep. But yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're totally right. I mean, it, it really illuminated how important community pharmacists are uh, in providing healthcare. They really, they caught so many people that slipped through the cracks of oh, our yeah. system, um, especially during the pandemic. I mean, they were continue to be accessible. You know, continue to be resources for their communities for hand sanitizer early. Mm-hmm. You know, we yep. saw that was one of the mm-hmm. first things. I think the good stories that came out of this. Um, was compounding hand sanitizer and, and, you know, responding to that, um, you know, working with local municipalities and local departments of health to meet whatever needs occurred. And then the vaccination efforts were just, just incredible and can, will continue to be. So I'm excited to see what else comes out of this. But you're right. I mean, it's, it, there's been this huge swell across the country. It's not just in Pennsylvania. I mean, we've had more, we have more opportunity now than we've ever had before. Um, and I'm not alone in that. My colleagues, you know, other network, CPSN network facilitators and, and other states are saying the same thing. And so we're trying to, to manage that and set our, you know, our pharmacists up to be ready to execute because the opportunity will be here for a short period of time. And if we don't execute, we're in trouble. Super true. And you're right though. You proved so much that you want to reach a vulnerable patient that the best vehicle was proven under this pandemic is, is community pharmacy straight up was. Um, yeah. And you know, it's another one of those things where as pharmacists, especially if you've worked in a, a busy chain, you hate things like being able to walk in, you hate being in the drive through all the time. But when you look at it, the things that made pharmacy successful in all of this was how accessible they were. Yeah. Right. You're, you're and the throughput they could right. push through. You know, and you, you saw pharmacists go from being like tired and angry because they just had a bad day to being like tired and really excited about their jobs because they just proved like they just put out this amazing piece for their community and we're finally getting like, hey, the pharmacist crushed this. Right. I've seen more pharmacists excited about working, even, you know, sixteen hour days than I've ever seen in the last what, five years or plus. Right. Well, you you proved that you proved the agility of small businesses working in their community. Mm-hmm. You know, the ones that are really successful were connected to their community. Their community called them, you know, uh, ran and trip, you name it. We right. had them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, already had a relationship with public health, and public health gets a bunch of COVID doses. And hey, we've got to get rid of those. Who am I going to call? I'm going to call the guy down the street who I've right. been working with. And right, well, like Eric's pharmacy with Marcos Eric. in Pennsylvania, yeah. they were like connected to their local public health immunizing schools like crazy, like just wherever right, they were needed. can't do that because they can't really think individually and locally. They're not in, the person in the store is not empowered to think that way. So tell us, um, just to, just to quickly before I, the, I don't know you very well, so just give us a little background of, of how you got into what you're doing. Just tell us a little bit about you. Sure, sure. I think it, it started, my parents were are both healthcare providers. My mom's a dietitian, pr- practitioner. My mom's a retired dietitian. My dad's a retired, recently retired community pharmacist. So healthcare has always been, you know, kind of, um, uh, indirectly, you know, part of, part of my life. Uh, when I was 16, I worked at a grocery store and the grocery store manager said, Hey, we need help in the pharmacy. Like jump in the pharmacy and, and help out. Um, so that was, that was pretty eye-opening. I went to college and changed my major a few times, um, but ended up as in pharmacy school at the University of Pittsburgh um, and uh, really enjoyed it, um, really found some great mentors at the University of Pittsburgh that guided me to a residency program with the University of Pittsburgh and Rite Aid. And during that, that postgraduate training was able to get a better understanding of how to provide care, how to get paid for care, you know, how to work collaboratively with, with other healthcare providers. And I worked 
worked for Rite Aid for 10 years in a shared clinical and dispensing position where I got to take care of patients every day um, and live and breathe that, you know, ability to take care of people while I was feeling their prescriptions and really, really make a difference. Um, and then uh, three years ago, uh, was able to take this position with CPS and the CPS Network of Pennsylvania. And um, it's been it's been great since there. It's, I, I thought that I knew a lot of really great pharmacists in my past you know, life. Uh, but uh, since taking this position, have been able to connect with some really innovative people um, across the state, across the country as well. It's been really cool to see what what they're capable of and to know that it does, it's not, doesn't happen in isolation. This is something that's happening ubiquitously. Um, it, it's been really amazing. So what were the other degrees? Yeah, I'm curious. Oh, majors. I, I only have one degree. No, uh, I mean, sorry. Uh, what were the other, you, you said you went a couple of different directions before you decided yes. on pharmacy. What were the other directions yes, you so went? I was a psych major and uh. then intro to psych uh, pretty much did me in there. <laughs> and then I was a chemistry major um, and loved chemistry, but didn't want to spend, I couldn't spend my life working on a bench, like in a lab, just not the type of, of research that I want to do. Now I'm involved with research, you know, that's, that's different. It's the qualitative research. Now there are other type of, yeah, other type of research that's fun and exciting, but, um, we talk to a lot of what I consider pharmacy leaders on this show. And, and it's funny how often we hear a story that pharmacy wasn't their first choice. That's true. There's a lot right? of that. A lot of that. And, a lot and, of and a lot of coming from pharmacy <laughs> families where they did this and they did this and, and they did this or they stumbled across this and where it really wasn't a, hey, I want to go into pharmacy was their, their kind of first thing. And I don't know if that says Yeah, it actually worked the- against me for a number of years uh, seeing, you know, I want to do something different right. you know, because my dad was a pharmacist. But um, I did get the opportunity to work with him for a few years when I was in pharmacy school. And it was really cool to see the problem solving that he did. Um, patients would come in and, you know, with medication related problems and non-medication related problems. And I think that was my first experience seeing what great problem solvers community pharmacists are because they have to be because they were, you know, they're people come up to you because you are so accessible and expect you to solve their problem and you, you figure it out. Um, and, and they do a great job of it. So that was, um, that, that was kind of my first experience seeing it. And then, you know, was able to, to do that myself, um, for a number of years, which is incredibly rewarding. Hitting the end of our time here. We wanted to tell you again, congratulations yes. on your team and, yeah. and, uh, thank, thank you. you for, for all you're doing for community pharmacy and, and all that we're going to, that you're probably going to do the next couple of years and let you know we're here. So um, don't feel like you had to wait to get us on recording to say, hey, can you work on <laughs> this say. for us? So, you know, give us your ideas. I know, uh, <laughs> like, I got you on record. I know now. I got one over here beside me who's itching to get back out to Pennsylvania. And so uh, hopefully he'll be out there soon and and just continue to work with you guys to to spread what you do and make what you do happen more often. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thanks for your support. And Josh, you're welcome anytime to Pennsylvania. we got a lot of pharmacies hey, that would love I'm, to. I'm fully vaxxed and I'm ready to go. Love to give you their feedback too. Oh, I, yeah. I, I know that. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It was nice meeting you. All right. Thank Thanks. you again Take for care. the opportunity. Right. Thanks, Take Stephanie. Care. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. bye. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerRx on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.